welcome to another edition of the Kennel Books Podcast, Above and Beyond. This podcast is dedicated to interviewing successful business leaders, former military officers, and Cameron Brooks alumni who have made the transition from the military to corporate America. And we try to get into some good dialogue on the podcast about what these former officers are doing. Uh, professionally, in their companies, in the roles that they're in. We talk about career progression a little bit. We talk about professional development a little bit. And a lot of the feedback that I've received from those who listen to the podcast, they appreciate it because uh, regardless if there's a military officer considering making a transition to business or perhaps somebody who's already transitioned and is leading in the business world, um, the feedback that I've received is people are taking away a lot of uh, practical application and tips about how to be more successful uh, in their roles or how to be more successful in a transition. And so um, for our conversation today, I interview Mark Fannin. Mark is a former Marine Corps logistician. He's got a background in economics, has an economics degree from the United States Naval Academy. And when he made a transition, he transitioned to Mars, which is a consumer company, into their pet care division. And so um, in this conversation, as, as we get into um, his role as a brand manager, and we have dialogue about what that means, especially at a consumer packaged goods company, some of the functional things that he's up to, getting to his transition a little bit. And then we also talk about what he's working on professionally. He, um, he's reading a book called The Practicing Mind right now, and he shares some practical application about what he's taken away from the book and how he's applying it in his day-to-day life. So Mark's a really good guy, fascinating conversation, um, good background, and gives some good perspective about a transition and working in the business world. So hopefully you enjoy the, the conversation as much as I enjoy the conversation when talking to Mark. If you're interested in learning more about Cameron Brooks and about making a transition from the military to corporate America, I'd encourage you to do two things. One, I encourage you to go to our website, uh, when you go to Cameron-Brooks.com, you can find our resource center. And it, within our resource center, there is a lot of open source material that you can use today to learn more about the business world and help you prepare to make a transition or even just do the research on if a transition is right for you. So I'd encourage you to go to our website, specifically look at our resource center. And then I'd also encourage you to pick up a copy of the book PCS to Corporate America, PCS has over 80 years worth of military officer transition experience. And so in the book, uh, we give a lot of advice. We give uh, some tips on um, how to transition, what to look for, how to meet companies, what to say, how to write a resume, what books perhaps you should be reading and digging into to learn more. So strongly encourage you to go to Amazon.com and pick up a copy of PCS to Corporate America. All right, well, let's get started. Here's the conversation with Mark. Mark, thanks for joining the podcast. How are you today? Doing great, Pete. Thanks for having me today. Okay. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you. Of course, you and I saw each other. Uh, it's probably been nine months now or so when you came to the conference and, and ultimately hired Amanda Foxton. Wasn't that the conference we saw each other at? It was. It was back in October of last year. We actually took uh, we took two folks from the conference, Amanda Foxton and Jim Neiman. Oh, Jim, that's right. Okay. Yeah, great. Good deal. Well, it was great to see you. And, and as I was thinking about people to, that, that have interesting backgrounds that I thought would uh, would really resonate with some of the folks that listen to this podcast, 
uh, felt like you would be a huge, huge um, positive influence on a lot of people. So appreciate you being here. Of course. Okay, so let's kind of jump into it. Why don't, why don't you start by just kind of giving us a, a, an overview of what you did in the military, um, you know, how, how long were you in, what did you do, kind of what were some of your jobs, and then, uh, and then we'll talk about your transition over to Mars. Yeah, so I was a, uh, a Marine Supply Officer, uh, and I served from 2008 to 2013. I uh, did two deployments. Interestingly enough, I did one deployment as a Battalion Supply Officer, so I ran the accounts. Um, facilitated logistics, and then uh, all the other tasks associated with supply. Uh, and then my second deployment, I was fortunate enough to have a company, so I had a little bit more of a leadership experience <clears throat> in terms of operations. And then, uh, you know, in my second deployment, decided it was uh, time to move on based on some promises that I had made to myself um, and began my transition in uh, middle, kind of early middle of 2013. Yeah, what was that like, though? Because, um, you know, some people graduate, you graduated from the Naval Academy. I, so some people graduate saying, I'm going to I'm going to serve my country. I'm going to do real well. I'm going to give it my all. But when the commitment is up, I'm going to make a transition. Others, you know, discover that along the way. So what was that like for you? Uh, I would say I was more in the latter camp. So I discovered that more along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, there was really three commitments that I had to myself, which was I wanted to do two deployments. Um, it didn't matter if it was Iraq or Afghanistan. I wanted to also do a really, I wanted to be able to get a company command tour in or some sort of operational leadership tour in. So I just wasn't really focused in supply. Right. Um, and then really the third commitment I made to myself is I, I really wanted to do recruiting after as a B billet, but unfortunately that didn't, um, that didn't really pan out. And before I could really make the decision, I had this, I had an operations officer who was a really good mentor to me and he charted out what, the standard career path looks like the supply officer. Um, and over that conversation, I realized more and more as a suppo, as you develop, you get less and less opportunities to be close and tight with Marines uh, because you, you know, you work on staff, you work up to uh, colonels, lieutenant colonels and generals. And you know, my passion area for the Marine Corps was being able to work with the platoon of Marines and execute a mission and operations. And so once that, um, idea kind of came to fruition. I made the decision that somebody else would probably want it a little bit more than me, and that wasn't the right career path moving forward. So that's really what triggered my transition in 2013. Gotcha. So you came, yeah, that's right. You came to the June 2013 career conference and interviewed. I, I, haven't, I didn't pull up your interview schedule, but I, I'm sure it was 12 or 13 or 14 interviews. Um, you ultimately chose Mars, but I know you had options, um, you know, in making that choice. Why did you ultimately choose where you're at now, and maybe you could share with us a little bit about what you're up to. Yeah, so I decided to transition to Mars because they're, <clears throat> number one, a privately held company, which takes a lot of the pressure from Wall Street off the company to do business, so it can really run on its own. Um, there's not a lot of outside eyes looking in, and I love that internal responsibility, I would say, from more of a culture standpoint. They have a five uh, principle-driven society, you know, and each company has a mission statement. They have core values. Um, and what I found out through the secondary interviews is it's as much an interview for the person hiring, being hired for the job as it is for the person uh, that's interviewing. And in the secondary interviews, it gave me a chance to take a snapshot of what the culture actually looks like. When you walk around the building, you meet different associates outside of just your interviewing panel. And Mars struck me as you know, the pillar-driven society that I mentioned before, but somebody who actually executes it. And I was really just 
and fallen in love with their culture uh, and their idea of entrepreneurship uh, that ties back to their principles. When you say the fi- the five principles, and, and it's interesting, you called it a society, which which I think is is a great word. It's not one you typically use to describe um, an internal or a corporate a, a corporate body. I guess you know you call it a society, which I really like, but. You know, why do you, can you go into detail there? Like, why did you call yourself, your company, your, your corporate body, a society? And, you know, what's it like to walk around the halls of Mars? I mean, what's it, you know, give some perspective. It's probably different than, at least to a degree, perhaps, of what you experienced in the Marine Corps. Yeah, it is. It is uh, a little bit different given the military structure and the discipline are not in place. But I, I mean, I would actually turn that on its head and say there's more similarities the Marine Corps and Mars than probably most people realize. And it's this, um, you know, this pride and culture. And in the Marine Corps, it's honor, courage, and commitment. And in Mars, it's quality, it's responsibility, mutuality, efficiency. Um, and people actually adhere to it, similar to uh, how Marines adhere to honor, courage, and commitment. And there's a pride in driving that culture. An interesting thing is when you get evaluated at Mars, uh, 50% is what you do. And the other 50% is how you do it. And the how is always tying back uh, to those principles. It's kind of like being in the Marine Corps where you get evaluated on what you do. And you also get, you also get evaluated on how your Marines and sailors respond to you as you drive operations. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitive similarities. And one of the interesting things in is if we decide to take on business opportunities or projects that don't align with our principles, um, we actually have discussions about it. It's not always about making a buck. And that became apparently clear you know, sitting in the interview panel and then talking to other associates outside of the interview panel, that's something uh, that Martians, that's sort of the uh, term we call ourselves. <laughs> that's <your> society. <laughs> that is our, yeah, that is our society. Um, you know, it's something people really embody. It's not just lip service. So that's where I, that's where I really think the idea of culture sets in at Mars, uh, as opposed to some of the other places that I was, had the fortunate pleasure of interviewing with. You know, it's so interesting because I think you're, you know, I know you're exactly right. You know, there's a common misconception about the business world based on based on what we, you know, from multiple sources in terms of the media or our preconceived notions or whatever it might be, but that it's this, you know, constantly cutthroat, bottom line profit driven. And listen, don't misunderstand. Of course, you know, it is profit and bottom line driven, but it's this this idea that nothing else matters, no one else matters, you know, you're you're trapped in sweatshops or whatever it might be, right, whatever the preconceived notion yeah. is. But the way you described your experience and especially how you were evaluated 50% on what you do, 50% on how you do, it's a lot like my experience at Johnson & Johnson, another kind of, I guess, unrelated, but, well, related in that it's a consumer company, at least to a degree. Um, and we did yeah. a lot of the same things. And so I think a lot of companies focus on not only – not only profitability, which is the sustainment and lifeblood of the company, but also, you know, right, how you do it. And people like you, people like me, get into organizations like that and say, well, you know, being profitable is important, but it's just not the only important thing. Not, it's not. And it's interesting to see, you know, Silicon Valley took over about 15, 20 years ago. Um, their culture was different than most CPGs, publicly held companies. It was the idea that you treat your associates as a culture. You give them pride and ownership. Um, in order to get better results, mm-hmm. uh, and it's really taken hold in, I would say, the standard business arenas. They find companies that are more efficient, associates are more engaged, and the work is just better, um, which I think, you know, J&J and Mars, in order to survive, have really crafted their culture to fit within that spec. 
Yeah, that's that's really good. Now, what if I know this is kind of a, a little bit of a tangential question here, but what if what if you have an employee or someone on your team in your society who who doesn't quite meet meet the five principles? You know, is it is it do, do they naturally find their way out? Uh, is that is that how it occurs at Mars? Have you seen any of that? I, I have, and I think in some instances they do find their way out. What's unique about Mars is there's a lot of segmentation in terms of departments within CPG companies, within uh, you know S and P 500 companies, and segmentation is like if you're in finance, you're in finance. That's it. There's no path across. It's either up or out. And the interesting thing about Mars is they don't segment their departments in that manner. We have salespeople move to marketing. We have marketing people move to corporate affairs. We've had finance folks and operations folks come into marketing. Um, and that's another thing that I love about Mars is they'll help you find a place that ties back to your strengths and helps you really develop those five principles. Yeah, that's great. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to professionally. Like, you know, can you give us a glimpse in your day-to-day? I'm sure it, you know, it fluctuates wildly depending on the day, but, you know, kind of generally, uh, what do you do? So I'm a brand manager in the marketing department, uh, and I currently work on a brand called Crave. Uh, and this is for Mars Pet Care. Um, so my typical day uh, is, you know, I still keep the early habits that I had in the military show up at 738. Um, and the first thing that I do is try to understand what tasks are in front of the team in terms of driving the brand um, and catching up on email. And then I would say 70% of my day is involved in communicating in meetings, getting our team together on how to execute, interacting with um, agencies that help drive the brand, agencies such as our a core creative team that develops materials for communications. We have media buying agencies that we have to interface with. Um, we even have consumer promotions agencies that we interact with. So I would say the best way to translate my experience on a day-to-day business is like being an operations officer, platoon commander, where you come in and you run your platoon like a, like a business. Mm-hmm. And you are uh, responsible for all the communication and driving actions uh, within that. And it's, you know, the days can be long, they can be a little bit grueling, but it's nothing that's out of the ordinary from what we've already experienced in the military. Sure. Now, you, you're, are you managing the Crave brand? I am, yeah. So I'm responsible for, for Crave, uh, what we would call the mega brand. So, um, you know, if you look at the pet care segment, there's there's dog owners and there's cat owners and within Mars traditionally. And there's both. Sorry to cut you off. There's both. No, there, there's both. There are both. 50, 50% of people own both dogs and cats. That's yeah. Great point. Yeah, we're a um, both, by the way, and I didn't think we I would be, it. but uh, my uh, my my 12-year-old, now 15-year-old daughter, you know, there was there was some action going on in the house, and uh, and suddenly there's a cat, and now there's two dogs and a cat. And i got to tell you, the cat was... <laughs> Despondent and not my favorite, but now she's my favorite. Isn't that funny? Cats have a way of working into your uh, working into your soul. <laughs> anyway, mega brand and crave. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to derail that. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Um, so traditionally, the way Mars has broken out their brands is you'll have a brand manager for the dog part of the business on a brand, and you'll have a okay. dog uh, brand manager for the cat side. Um, and so for Crave, we had to move so quickly that. Uh, it just turned out that I was a single point of contact for both sides. Instead of focusing on one species, we decided to take uh, the mega brand approach in launching this new product. Um, you know, and I, and I think it, I mean, this is probably the most difficult thing that I've worked on since I've been here, but 
we identified a white space within the category uh, to develop and insert a brand at a certain price point with certain characteristics. Uh, we had to launch it in less than seven months. So that meant cre creating the product, the design, the branding, which means communications, claims, consumer-facing language. Um, and then we had to go and call on all you know, 26 to 50 retailers that we have to see what their interest was, sell in the product um, in order to meet their, you know, in order to meet their timelines. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride the last seven or eight months. I want to dig into that. Actually, let me, let's, let's back up for a moment. So, cause you didn't start as the brand manager of this mega brand. You, you started, didn't you start an associate role, probably working on a, a different, a brand or a couple different brands? Yeah, correct. Um, so when I transitioned from the Marine Corps to Mars and the role that I interviewed for was called an associate brand manager. Um, and it was doing a lot of the tactical tasks to help keep the brand up and running, such as business reporting, understand what your puts and takes are, how your sales look, um, what sort of risks and opportunities you have to drive to your growth number. And then heavy involvement in an activity team. An activity team would be similar as interfacing with a, a battalion staff um, or in the S shops on a ship. And I was in that role for about two years uh, before I transitioned to what we call a lead, a lead or a senior associate brand manager position where you take a little bit more strategy, um, you get a little bit more interface with uh, the sales team uh, and your agencies to help drive your brand. And then, uh, you know, fortunately I was, Picked up about four months later to be a brand manager, uh, and I worked on a brand called Yukonuba for eight months, and then um, that brand transitioned to a different part of our pet care segment, and uh, you know had a couple folks who had been keeping an eye on me and identified me for this opportunity to launch Crave within seven months. Wow! So, um, how did you? I know I'm kind of regressing in this conversation, but I, no, I, that's okay. I'm just trying to hear your hear your story from those who might be listening to this, to kind of wondering some of these things. How, how did you choose? There's two questions. Yeah. Um, one, how did you choose marketing, right? You're, you're a Marine Corps logistician. You have an econ background from the Naval Academy. Why marketing? And then two, why Mars? And, and you've already kind of dug into the Mars thing with culture, so maybe that's already the answer. But maybe the more specific question would be Mars Pet Care. What was the attractive piece of that? I, I think a lot of people don't understand how big pet care is. I mean, maybe they just don't consider it, but it's such a huge, huge, huge industry or segment yeah. of our industry. And so, uh, yeah, why marketing and then why Mars Pet Care? So why marketing? I would say – Still remember the advice that, that you guys gave all the candidates at our at our conference, and it was focus on the company first, the role second, and then make price and location your final determining factors. And you know, when my wife and I showed up to the event, we really took those to heart. So I would say it was really marketing as a secondary option. It was more about just getting into Mars because it encompassed uh, kind of the culture discussion that you and I had earlier mm -hmm. about why. And then it just so happened to be. Uh, marketing, which I think is probably just luck at that point, but I would say what attracted me to marketing the most once I figured out Mars was the place I wanted to be was this idea of being a business owner for your brand. Um, and it relates, it relates in more ways than I could probably list on the podcast about how it is similar to being a Marine Corps officer in front of a platoon. Yeah. Um, you're responsible for every touch point of your brand, which is 
all the way from the product that's being designed with your research and development team to how and where it's being produced and on what timeline with your supply operations team to what your profit and loss statement looks like so you can contribute to the business all the way to getting in front of retailers such as Walmart, Target, Publix, Kroger, right. uh, and selling and pitching this to communications that a consumer sees. And I love I love the ownership of being able to say, that's my brand, that's my business, and this is the team that helped us put it all together. When I when I talk to officers about marketing, and, and maybe maybe for, for just a moment, can you describe, you've used the expression CPG. Describe that for us. When you say that, what do you specifically mean by that? CPG is Consumer Packaged Goods Company. We are um, a company that houses brands such as Pedigree, uh, Caesar, uh, Ein's Dog Food, and we provide a product that a consumer buys on their daily journey and consumes, whether it's you know, diapers, in, in certain cases for J&J and baby products, but from ours, pet care, uh, we create pet food that is ultimately purchased by a consumer, such as you, know, such as you Pete, with, with sure. a dog and a cat in your house, and then consumed um, as part of your journey on life. So when I describe exactly all right. So when I describe marketing, consumer packaged good marketing to an officer, essentially what I say, and I'm I know it's so broad and high level because you you named some things that I'd lo- I'd love to just kind of help others understand, really help me understand. I I talk about you know you're developing strategy at a corporate level to help consumers see why the brand would benefit them and why that would be good for them. So, but you talk about with Crave and launching it in seven months, you know, determining white space, looking at the category, looking at the claims that the product makes, um, you know, developing consumer language, consumer-facing language. So can you just kind of walk us through that a little bit more, give us a little bit more specificity on, you know, if I were to walk into your role, you know, what what would that look like, getting getting a yeah. product from non-existent to seven months later, people are buying it off the shelf? Yeah, so walking into to my role, or I think it would be better probably if I frame it up into the role that I walked in, because that would probably help a little bit more. So um, typically a team of marketing is constructed of two to three people. You have your brand manager, which is me, and then you have your associate ABM, or your uh, associate brand manager, um, which is the position that I walked into. And the way I would break it up is brand manager is responsible for all strategy. And what I mean by strategy is, what's the white space in the category? Um, what does the brand stand for? So when Pete walks into Target and he sees Crave, uh, what are the feelings, what are the thoughts that he gets from seeing the brand? Um, so a good parlay for that is what does, everybody, what does everybody think when they think of Ford F-150? Built Ford Tough, uh, number one selling brand uh, of truck in the United States. That's all developed by uh, a marketer to help sell their brand. Um, and so all those strategy points sit at the brand manager level. And then for the associate brand manager, the role that I walked into um, the way I would relate it to is uh, executing the strategy via tactical execution. So bringing the product to life with the research and developers. Um, you know, what are the benefits that, that Pete wants to see when he walks in and is buying cat food um, and how it comes to life in the creative way? Um, what are the consumer promotions um, in order to help drive sales down at the tactical level? Or when, you know, when Pete walks in, maybe $30 is too much for a bag. What's the right price point? Um, from a consumer promotion standpoint. And then the last piece, uh, I would say from the tactical piece, is business reporting. So understanding how your brand is performing in market and what are the levers you can pull to help drive it. So you're busy. <laughs> you're, you're a busy yeah. guy. 
it is it's incredibly busy and it's it's incredibly fun at the same time too. But it is it is a very broad um, spectrum. Yeah. I would say actual you know when you think of marketing, a lot of a lot of a lot of the thought is you make TV commercials, you do fun creative, you do uh, social executions on Facebook. Um, but I would say like evaluating that creative and working in that space is probably about 10% of my job uh, with the bulk of uh, the other 90% being the items that I just mentioned, strategy, yeah, um, right. making sure we can, yeah, making sure we have a good sell story when we get in front of customers, making sure our product shows right on, on the shelves for consumers. Um, so yeah. How do um, how do people? It's, it's 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 you've done a good job helping officers, helping me see um, uh, the relatability to the military. Obviously, different in, in what you're doing and 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 some of the strategic ways that you're going about it. But a lot of the how is still the same. How how where do you go from here? I know you're. I don't. I don't. Want, I want to be careful here because I know you're not already looking to the next promotion. But you know what what is. What what would your path look like, or what's an example of one of the paths that you could take as you move and navigate your career at Mars? Um, with specifics to marketing, or just kind of in general, which yeah, you like, want me to address both? Well, I guess I guess both. But where would you? Okay. You know, where do you go next? Where do you think you'd go after that? You know, earlier you talked about finance coming to marketing, operations coming to play. You know, they're having the ability to move in the organization. Is there some, you know, have you given much consideration to what your um, your succession will look like in time? Um, this is probably not the best answer, but I, I have not because I've whole I've held. I don't know if you remember when we spoke in October at the conference. I've held five roles in the last eighteen months, right? Because we've had a lot of transitions. Um, so I've, and then just. You know, keeping our head down with a project for Crave. I haven't given the career uh, progression much thought, but you know, the standard piece, just stem to stern, is typically an associate brand manager comes in, uh, and they'll be in that type of role for about four years. Um, then you'll hit brand manager, be in that role for four years. So you have about eight years of experience um, before you start to lean up and into the director role, which would be um, down the road for me. My next, my next move. Um, if that opportunity arises, that's great. Uh, but also, we've had a few brand managers and a few directors actually, um, you know, declare that they want to be more of the general manager role and not specifically focused on marketing. They don't want to be a chief marketing officer, mm -hmm. and so they'll make the transition to sales, either to um, account manager, a team lead, or even a sales director, to help round out their experience sure. uh, in terms of. You know the what we call demand drivers or the sales drivers between marketing and sales. Yeah, it's like that too, right? I mean, I I was I wanted to, I wasn't sure if I wanted to kind of go down this road, but it's like that. You get into a role, you get your you know you you said it. I think you said it. Put your head down, execute with with excellence, make it happen, work hard, stay late, do do the hard jobs, volunteer, never complain, and. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, Mark, you know, I think you'd be good for this higher level role based on your experience, based on your attitude, right? Don't you think that's the way it occurs a lot of the time? I do. I do. I would say my stance on that is let your work speak for itself, uh, but even more so let your relationships within your team um, speak for itself. It's uh, kind of like when you have a platoon and your staff sergeant's got your back that pays dividends for you and it speaks volumes about you. Um, I would say one of the big differences 
is I've never really asked for anything since I've been at Mars. I just sort of keep my head down and work hard. And I think it's, I think it's paid out because I don't have an ulterior motive. I just, I want the brand and the business to do well and I want the team to feel comfortable executing together. Now there is another component that I wonder if you've had some experience with because, because I, that's exactly right. I feel like my attitude was very similar at J&J, but there's also this component of of succession in a company that has to do with relationships with with leaders in your business and not that you're you're going to make relationships in order to get promoted, but have you seen that in your organization where relationships with with key business leaders, you know, two, three levels high higher than you pay off because they end up pulling people onto higher level roles on their team, right? Have you seen that? I've seen a little bit of it. Uh, I've seen a little bit of it, but I think um, the asterisk that I would place with that statement is the the performance and the business results always have to speak and be coupled with that relationship. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think it's less about having a strong relationship with that person in the leadership role. I think it's more about having a mentorship relationship uh, in that leadership role that I've found more successful. Because there's, I would say there's more often times where it's the other situation where people do have relationships at the leadership level. Um, And oftentimes they don't get the position because there is maybe a level of comfort or just somebody who's more qualified. So at the end of the day, um, you have to, you have to perform. You have to be good at being a leader within your team um, before you even uh, can use that relationship or have that relationship to benefit you. Good. Um, let me let me change gears on you here. We're we're running a little yeah. short on time, and I wanted to hit a couple of top topics. And I guess the first thing I would say ask you is. You know what are you what are you working right on right now professionally? What are you trying to get better at professionally? Uh, so I would say, from a professional standpoint, specifically as it relates to marketing, um, evaluating creative and what it means when we put it in market, uh, and how to translate that is when you develop a campaign for a brand. Um, you know, let's take the pistachio commercial uh, where they have all these famous, uh, you know, these famous celebrities come on and they do some sort of uh, parlay or dry sarcastic run of how it relates to pistachio. How do you evaluate that creative when it comes out as an idea and then you get it to execution? Um, That's my biggest development area in terms of marketing. I would say as a business leader, it's strategy. Um, You can never know enough about how to utilize a creed strategy. And for me right now, it's understanding the puts and takes within my business, specifically as it relates to media, uh, but also as it relates to the risks and opportunities as we get the brand into a more mature place, how do we continue to drive growth? When you say puts and takes, can you can you define that for us? Yeah. So when I say puts and takes, I mean risks and opportunities. Um, and risks and opportunities for a business can shake up in various ways. Um, you know, what is the risk of you not running a media plan for a new brand? What is the risk of you not having the right assortment of flavors because you had to move so fast in developing your brand that you need to add to portfolio your portfolio later? Or uh, flip that on its head, what's the opportunity if you do run a full media plan for your brand? Uh, what's the opportunity if you have the right assortment when you go to a retailer and have the discussion of potentially getting uh, more distribution, which is a huge base growth driver for your business. Uh, 
Um, and, and those are the types of puts and takes you have to look at. Gotcha. Um, you talked about strategy and the creative. Is I, I would I looked online. I was I kind of Googled Crave it, Crave Adult Dog Food. Is that is that what it is? Yeah, and our website is CravePetFoods.com. Okay, let me let me go there because because um, I found and I just want to make sure it's the right one, and then I want to ask you a question about it. And hopefully we can get some people. I'd love to get some people going to that website. Um, yeah, that's the one. So. So the brand, it's interesting, the brand is pretty aggressive, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. you've got these, you know, uh, what look, you know, predatory animals, kind of steely-eyed predatory animals getting after some of, uh, you know, getting ready to have a meal, right? Isn't that what you were going for? It is. It is, yeah. So we um, we definitely took an aggressive approach. So our marketing philosophy is be noticed, be remembered, and be understood. And within the be noticed portion of it we wanted our design to be uh like you said aggressive we wanted it to stand out on shelf in a sea in a sea of products that kind of look the same and being noticed can be both good and bad there's people who will love it and say that is a beautiful design i love the aggressiveness there's other people who will say that that haunts me in my dreams Um, (laughs) the eyeballs follow me Uh, well, they had to get a, a hardcore Marine Corps officer to do this brand, man. They had to get somebody uh, tough to get did. in there and get it done. <laughs> it's basically, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's interesting. But <laughs> no even comment. you know, even even for that consumer who says this isn't for me, but they still noticed it. That's still a win. As you talk about uh, branding uh, yeah. for your brand that you want to drive. Yeah, that's exciting. That's really cool. All right, let me uh, um, final question or two. Are you are you listening to a podcast or reading a book or you know following a blog? What do you what are you up to professionally in terms of uh, taking some some content and material in? So there's uh, I think there's, there's three portions that I have right now. Um, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek. I think his podcast on how great leaders inspire action and start with why sure. are incredibly meaty and incredibly juicy to the point where um, I've had to take these podcasts and snippets, but it's really interesting to parlay those into everyday action. Uh, The second part is I'm reading a book called The Practicing Mind. It's about honing your ability to stay focused in a situation so you develop your tools and develop your understanding of how to get from point A to point B without just focusing on results. And it teaches you to be present in everyday, everyday conversations. Uh, so a little bit of the self-development piece. And then um, I have two or three mentors in the business that I meet with, uh, call it a bi-weekly basis or even a monthly basis, where I have them, uh, for lack of a better term, evaluate me. Uh, we talk about what my strengths and weaknesses are, what they're seeing um, in how I show up every day and how to become a better leader and a better business owner. So I think those are the three things that I've I've been hitting on in the last year. Let me let me ask you a little bit about the practicing mind. Does that is that is that one that would help a military officer where, you know, you, you said being present, staying focused, and is there you know retention of of you know conversa- you know an increased retention of conversation or productivity? Like, tell me tell me what your end goal is in that. I'm I'm intrigued and interested to look that book up. Yeah, so it's it's all of the above for what you yeah. just mentioned. It's okay. the idea of. Uh, being more effective in conversations you may not necessarily have particular interest in. But I think one of the the unique points in the book is the way our culture is, the way our society is, it is all focused on the end result. It's all focused on getting to point B. 
not how you got to point B, but getting to point B. And this book, book kind of flips it on its head. It's about focusing on the journey to get from point A to point B so you can help master a new skill. Um, it helps make you more of an owner of that skill set as opposed to just focusing on the result. Because the result will come if you, if you focus on that journey. It's just a matter of putting more time in for how you become good at that skill. Yeah, good. I was kind of Googling or put it on Amazon and Thomas Sterner, and then he write, writes another book right after that, uh, Fully Engaged Using Practicing Mind in Daily Life. So I think I'll grab that. As a matter yeah. of fact, I'll probably download it to the Kindle today and uh, and uh, and give that a read. You know, it's something I've been thinking a lot about personally myself in terms of more engagement. Uh, you know, in our business, probably like yours, I mean, I just feel like we're a mile a minute and, you know, it's passing and two shifts passing in, in the night, so to speak, a lot of, a lot of times in the office. But I want to get better at being more engaged, and I think people will appreciate that tip. Um, are you speaking of mentoring? Are you? Do you get to pour into you know like Amanda and Jim? Do you? Do you? I know you see them. I'm sure you see them. But are are either on your team? Do you get to mentor them along as well? I do. Yeah. So Jim and I meet uh, probably on a weekly basis, if I remember correctly. We meet every Friday. We talk about um, what sort of tasks. Um, he has how to approach them, maybe even just QCing some of his materials or giving him some extra thought. Mm. Um, and then Amanda has set, been set up with uh, a couple other mentors as well inside the business. So it's more about spreading their wings outside of just the JMO network too, because sure. Jim meets with uh, other folks as well. Uh, but yeah, like <laughs> the interesting thing about the interaction with JMOs is there's not a lot that needs to be said to keep that network going. Uh, yeah. But what people will find is there's, there's, you know, there's formal networking opportunities in the business, and none of it involves JMOs because there's that still that, un, that, that unspoken bond. That's good. Fi- final, final shot here. Um, yeah. Any, any advice? Just kind of a maybe a bullet point or something that that JMOs listening to this can really latch on to uh, about working in business or making the transition. Anything that you've you know, been able to dwell on over the last four months that has that has kind of stayed consistent and front of mind? Yeah, I, I would say the two things are be humble and be real. I think it's applicable in all roles that you'll be in. Um, and the great thing about those two traits are no matter what team you're on or how difficult or easy the task is, they endear you to the people you interact with. Um, I would say for most of the people who probably listen to the podcast or in the interview process, um, your experience is great as an officer. Uh, it's second to none in terms of leadership, in terms of defining how you can uh, put your grit forth um, and even showing your leadership and your team building skills. But be, be humble about it and be real um, because when you get into the interview process, folks can see right through it. Describe real. I, you know, it's funny. The word humble comes up on these podcasts all the time. I always reference a book called The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. That's one of his pillars to being an ideal team player. And humility, in my mind, doesn't need a whole lot of definition. It's so vital. It's one, it's probably my strong touch point. Not to say, yeah, in terms of what I what I appreciate about others. Um, when you say real, can you can you define that a little bit or put some you know put some structure yeah. around that word? You guys still call it the unique you when you were briefing up the interviewers. Right, just showing, yeah, like there's no, yeah, and that's interesting because, you know, especially in the interview process, if you're someone that you're not in the interview and then go to work and, and you know, you're different than who you were in the interview, that that's just not going to work. 
Yeah, because eventually it'll come out. Yeah, that's uh, right. You know, in the inter- in the interview day, you have 15 interviews. Uh, each one is an hour long. It's 15 hours of talking. The real you will come out. <laughs> uh, right. Just go and just just go and focused. And the same thing with business. No matter how long you are with the company, whether it's two, five, six months, like eventually people will see you for who you are. So it's best just to bring that best foot forward of you from the get-go. Fantastic advice. Mark, this has been, uh, um, you know, you talked about, you know, listen to Simon Sinek's podcast. And I agree, so impressive, and I try to follow his stuff. Uh, but there's been a lot of nuggets and, you know, meatiness to this conversation as well. I think people are going to really dig into actually what you do, but really you can just hear in your heart and in your voice a lot of the ways that you get about uh, you get about it. And it's, uh, it's, in, it's for inspirational, and uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for taking some time with me today. Thanks for the time, Pete. Glad I could help.